This episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you exclusively by Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Get the Enterprise D for only $4.95 when you sign up today at st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. Hey there, this is Vic Mignogna, Captain James T. Kirk from Star Trek Continues, and you're listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Outpost on the edge of the neutral zone and Podfleet Command. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Some might say it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a second. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and this is episode number 138. Wow, 137 other times I've had the great good fortune of introducing my co-host, and let's just say if he were the opposing Starship Captain... In a submarine-style battle, um, he probably would have warped away and not even fought because he's the very peace-loving and pacifist Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, my friend. Thank you, thank you, and and I regret that we meet in this way. I, I regret I, that we meet every Sunday. I knew that. I walked right <laughs> into that, right into it. Thank you. Yes, hi, Bill. It's good to be here. Pacifist, really, me? I don't know about that, but uh, I'll take your word for it. You're just you're a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> wow! See what I did there? Right in, Twenty seconds in, we've got the Michael reference. I'm liking this. Got to say it. I like it. Just, just I don't beat it like a dead horse, okay? <laughs> I want you to know I set that intro up just so I could use. He's a lover, not a fighter. It was beautiful. Like, <laughs> like, like it very I'm much. very proud of myself, and I've only had one cup of coffee. <laughs> well, it's great to be here as always. Oh my God, 138 episodes that uh, will be in the can after today's recording. That's amazing. And I can't believe it took this long to be talking about today's topic because it's one of the best of all time in Star Trek. And of course, I speak of Balance of Terror. You know, this is one of those episodes that I saw as a young child. I was probably about six or seven years old. And it has stuck with me ever since I saw it for a variety of reasons that we're going to discuss in the main segment. But Dan, other folks may have reasons why they love this episode, or, or, or maybe, maybe they don't. I don't know. How might they route those comments to us? Well, uh, there's a whole bunch of ways that they can do it, Bill. Uh, head right over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you'll find all the different ways that uh, you can send us your thoughts, and, and we want to hear from you. So you can leave us a voicemail, you can Skype chat us, you can bark like a dog like my dog is doing right now if you're hearing that in the background, uh, fill out the contact form and leave us a message about anything that may be on your Star Trek mind. Uh, plus, don't forget, you can click that nice, big, shiny blue button on the right-hand side of the website and leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe. 
And uh, every week we say it, or I say it because Bill doesn't do this part of the show. I do it. Uh, we'd love it if you would join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer, Star Trek Talk, Star Trek Picks, Polls, the Friday Commute Celebration, and uh, Early Access to the Trek Geeks podcast are just some of the things that you will enjoy as being a member of Camp Kittimer. So join the group by going right on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. One of our wonderful admins will let you right on in and you will then be able to partake in all the fun and frivolity. But please remember that any comments or messages that you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Commander? Well, oh, Commander, I've, I've gotten a, a serious rank elevation. Thank you so much. You are oh. reduced two steps in rank. Return to post. Oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you're not uh, sending me out the, uh, the, 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 the waste tube with the uh, debris. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I just have to say, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, uh, but I'm going to. Mm. And uh, this past Friday with the Friday commute celebration in Camp Kittimer, I might have killed it. I'm just saying. Uh, he, he killed it all right. He killed me. I wish. Dan, before we get to the news, we do have to uh, announce some winners. Uh-huh. On a, uh, I know, on a recent episode of Discovering Trek, made available right here in the very old Trek Geeks feed, we were so incredibly honored to welcome New York Times bestselling author Dayton Ward to the show to discuss his new Discovery tie-in novel, Drastic Measures. Well, we asked listeners to hit the Discovering Trek Twitter feed with their favorite Star Trek novel, for a chance to win something pretty special. And we got some amazing responses. Yeah, we got some amazing responses, Bill. Uh, It's a pretty special, uh, something special indeed, I should say, about what we're going to be giving away. And we are giving away not one, but two copies of Drastic Measures by Dayton Ward. And here's the rub. It's going to be personally autographed by the New York Times bestselling author himself. So we took all the responses that came in on Twitter, and we have randomly pulled two winners and congratulations to Carl at listening to film on Twitter who posted that his favorite novel is Q squared by Peter David, some wonderful alternate universe stuff and an amazing link from Gary Mitchell to Q was his comment on Twitter. Congratulations, Carl. And also congratulations to Neil Shirley at that Neil guy. That's a pretty cool handle. Uh, He says that there really is only one option for a favorite Trek novel. And that is Spock Messiah by Theodore Cogswell and Charles Spano Jr. You two gentlemen have just won autographed copies of Drastic Measures by Dayton Ward. We'll touch base with you on Twitter in the coming days to get your shipping info. Congratulations. And as always, thanks for listening. That is so awesome. I, I'm I'm jealous of these guys to start with because they're getting <laughs> autographed copies of Drastic Measures. But uh, we thank them so much for for listening and participating you know it's our listeners that really make this show uh great and we can't thank everybody enough so dan obviously this means it's time for the news from treknews.net spanning the alpha quadrant oh i did that for all the news on all the star trek yo Dun, 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 dun. It's treknews.net. Dun, 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 dun. 
<laughs> online at treknews.net. We're very serious about treknews.net, but how can I not laugh when he throws in a Michael Jackson at the end of the ABC News World, uh, World News Tonight theme? Dan, before we get going with the news, speaking of our listeners, we want to thank each and every person listening to this podcast from the bottom of our hearts for reaching a pretty incredible milestone this week. Absolutely. You know, uh, we can't adequately express our gratitude. Yes, Bill, joy and gratitude uh, to, oh, to all of our, sorry, to all of our listeners. Seriously, you know, this week, Trek Geeks hit a special milestone as the 200,000th download took place. Um, it took us 27 months for us to hit our first 100,000 downloads, and we hit 200,000 in just over a year since that big day. So the amount of downloads in a short amount of time just blows our mind. And, you know, it's not about us. It's not about Bill and I. We could not have done this without all of you, and we're eternally grateful that you listen to these two geeks every single week. Uh, it really means more than, than you could ever know, Bill. I have to second that. You know, I've said this in a number of places and even here on this show. I mean, when you, you, you start these things, these podcasts, and you, you create them and you put them out into the ether, you really have no idea, one, who's going to listen, and two, if they're going to like it. And it, I am just so overwhelmed with, with gratitude that the people listen to this show and that they access their fandom through it. And for some people, it's even become a part of their Star Trek fandom. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, as, it's as much a part of Star Trek as Star Trek itself. And, and for that, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled, I'm honored, I'm grateful. And um, I, I, I sit here in disbelief that you know, we, we hit an extra 100,000 downloads in less than half the time it took us to get the first hundred. So um, thank you truly uh, to everyone who downloads. Thank you for everyone who, who retweets us on social media and, and, and reposts our stuff and shares it with our friends because um, we're having so much fun and we're just glad that you're all along for the ride. Oh, see, that's where I thought you were going to say something really smart. I'm crying. <laughs> no, I, I can't. I can't. You, you said it perfectly, man. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so unbelievably. Um, I don't, I don't even know the right word to describe. It just makes me feel so, so overwhelmed with emotion that that we're sitting here at over two hundred thousand downloads now, and and all it is is us talking, and people people take time out of their day to listen to us. It's it's incredible, and it means more to me than I think I could ever describe to someone. So like Bill said, thank you so, so much. We're extremely humbled and we look forward to the next 200,000. Absolutely. In, indeed. Well, Dan, in actual Star Trek news, um, you know, about the thing that people actually watch and, and participate <laughs> with, uh, we, you and I love Star Trek swag. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> we might be buying stuff all the time and this week offers some pretty cool new additions to our collection, possibly. Yeah, there are, there are a few that I'm going to talk about. The first one is from ThinkGeek. Uh, they're offering an interesting new item, which, Bill, uh, in all honesty, I think I'm going to have to have at my desk for whenever you come by to say something to me. Um, it's the Captain Picard facepalm bust. Uh, I, I did not even know that this was a thing and that it would be as hilarious as it is. Uh, they are only making 1,602 of these available to purchase and you can have your very own captain Picard giving you or whomever you wish the famous face palm for only 64 99. So check it out at thinkgeek.com. 
And uh, next up, Bill, this may be something for you and I for our now famous Facebook Friday commute celebrations. I'm thinking it is the Star Trek Pop Socket, and it's available in 15 different Trek designs for only $16 each. This circular device attaches to your phone on the back to make it easier to grip. It kind of pops out so that you can like put it in between your fingers so you can hold your phone easier. Uh, and it can also be used as a stand for those oh so fun lip sync moments. So uh, we'll have to keep that in mind, my friend. And uh, finally, as we saw on Facebook last week, thanks to one of your timely and engaging posts, a mini next generation tricorder is now available. It has lights. It has sounds. It's sitting in my hand right now. There you go. Probably deafening <laughs> a lot of people right now. Including um, me. Very, thank you. Well, that was the whole idea. Um, thank you so much, Bill, because I found this sitting on my desk at work one day uh, as you dropped off a little gift to me. I appreciate it so much. And for those of you who don't have friends as awesome as I do and you want to get your own, just head right on over to Amazon.com and you can get yours at a special discounted pr- price right now of only – Eleven ninety nine. That's actually not too bad. I, uh, no. I got. Uh, I bought them on the first day they were available for. I think it was nine ninety five. So ah, if, 12, if twelve bucks is going to be the the retail price, that's still a great bargain for that tricorder. Absolutely, I love it. I have to say that with regard to the facepalm bust, um, I wonder if Captain Picard is facepalming because he's only got one arm <laughs> and half a chest. And have a chest. I, and uh, I, as much as I, I see people with these pop socket type things on their phones all the time, I just I don't understand. I well, I, I'll tell I, you I don't what. Get, I, I don't get. I don't get why you'd want one of those on the back because if you're actually trying to talk on the phone, it seems like it would be a hindrance. Little little side story. I was I was at a Best Buy yesterday with my oldest and and uh, his fiance, and we were getting a new phone to to add to the plan. And I saw some of these pop sockets. They were not Star Trek versions, but I saw some at the store. So I'm like, all right, I got to see what this is all about. And when you actually pop it open, which is probably why they call it pop socket, and you ha- and you set it between your fingers, it really does give it a good grip, so that you don't have you're not like having all of your fingers wrapped around the base of the phone if you're like doing a, a FaceTime or something like that. It's very handy in in the way that you can hold the phone once you have that attached to the device. So I thought like you, but then I tried it and I'm like, oh, this isn't too bad actually. Okay, well I shall suspend judgment then. Thank you very <laughs> much for your clarity, Mr. Davidson. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Dan, we would be remiss if we didn't have some kind of discovery news this week, because, well, we need discovery in our lives every week, especially <laughs> when they're on summer hiatus. So what you got for me? Well, Bill, as, uh, as you said, um, it's on hiatus kind of right now, but season two is in full swing for filming, which is always a good thing. Uh, there is some season one stuff to still go over, kind of, Uh Perhaps I should call it season 1.5 because Star Trek Discovery Succession number one is now available from IDW Publishing. Now, IDW has done some great Star Trek comics through the years, and this new title will give readers an idea of what happens between season one and season two of DSC. Wait for it. In the Mirror Universe, Bill. Yes, I'm not joking. Mirror Universe comic book. We're going to find out what's going on in the Empire. And given the fact that one of the co-writers is the one and only Kirsten Bear, Bear along with Fire. Mike Johnson. Bayer, sorry. I, I, I can't read good. Um, I'm guessing that the writing of this is going to be absolutely top-notch. Uh, it, looks, it looks pretty good. I, I'm not going to lie. 
Well, if you remember right, Kirsten Beyer also uh, wrote the season one, episode eight, which was Seaweed's Pacum Parabellum from Star Trek Discovery, which is the mm-hmm. Saru episode, and it's fantastic. Very, very Star Trek. So I can't wait to see what she does with this. Um, I may have already downloaded it to my iPad. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly, or at least purchased it, you know, so, okay. so that it will download automatically. Let's put it that way. So uh, nice. I'll be reading this thing when it comes out. And I suspect we'll be talking about it on a uh, on a very special episode of Discovering Trek rather soon. Oh, all right. I'd Check be- with the executive producer. Maybe we'll be able to do that. Oh, I will. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Dan, on a more serious note, uh, TMZ, the gossip site, is reporting that the legendary Nichelle Nichols is now suffering from dementia and her son has some grave concerns about her welfare. Yeah, it, this really is a sad story. Uh, uh, Kyle Johnson, who is uh, Nichelle's son, has reported that she's suffering from severe short-term memory lo- loss and needs protection from being taken advantage of, which is just so sad. We've, we've heard this in, in other situations lately. I know Stan Lee is, is having similar things happening with him. Uh, according to Kyle Johnson, um, he needs help because it's necessary. Her dementia is, quote, impacting her executive functioning and makes her susceptible to undue influence, which is just so sad to hear. Uh, he also adds that certain individuals have unduly exerted themselves into Ms. Nichols' life to her detriment. People, you know what? Leave her alone. God almighty, that just angers me so much. But uh, we wish her the best. Um, I had the the wonderful opportunity to, to, to meet her very quickly as she was passing by uh, in Hollywood at the Discovery premiere. She's a wonderful lady, and this is just so sad to hear. It really is. You know, I, I can think of nobody in the star Trek universe who has told the fans that she loves them more than Nichelle Nichols. You know, she's the first to tell fans that she loves them either in person or in a group. And Mm -hmm. she's always just been such a gracious lady. I mean, I've seen her at conventions for decades now and she is, she, she's like everybody's grandma. I mean, let's be honest. She is a wonderful soul. And I have to tell you that when I heard that, you know, her, her social media was being handled by a company that was representing her now. I, I I sat back and I questioned how smart that was and whether or not there was the possibility that they may not have her best interests in mind. Now I am not saying that they don't have her best interests in mind. I don't Mm -hmm. know that. I don't know these people. I don't know how they're handling, you know, Nichelle's appearances and social media and career. Uh, for all I know, they may be, you know, uh, acting as wonderful agents on her behalf. However, mm-hmm. her son is absolutely correct in taking the steps that he's taking to protect his mom and ensure that she is not being taken advantage of. I think it's uh, it's his responsibility. And as somebody who has had a mother that you know has suffered from dementia in the past, um, I, I totally understand what this must be like for Kyle. Uh, and it can't be an easy decision. No, it really, I mean, it's the unfortunate thing is, is not only just for Star Trek, actors but anybody who deals with someone who's getting up there in age and is, is starting to exhibit these kind of symptoms and and problems it just breaks my heart to see especially with the you know we we saw it kind of with leonard before his passing but that was kind of quick and we're seeing it with this like i mentioned a moment ago i read an article just last week that the same thing is happening with stan lee from from marvel comics and people just take advantage of these situations and it makes me sick to my stomach so uh we certainly hope that uh mr johnson gets the assistance he needs to protect nichelle and we wish her the very very best 
without a doubt. Um, I'm assuming that she will still be in Las Vegas this August. And I guarantee you, I'm going to go out of my way to tell Nichelle that I love her because yes. she is uh, wonderfully amazing. You know, we know she suffered a mild stroke in 2015. We know that she hasn't done really any panels at STLV in the last couple of years. And I totally understand why, although she does show up and make appearances and see the fans. And um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a story that's hard to talk about because, I mean, you know, Nichelle is... Nichelle is Uhura. I mean, and Uhura is Nichelle. Right. Absolutely. So moving on, Dan. Um, finally, last week we announced that Paramount was working on not one, but two brand new Star Trek movies. And one of the cast members is pretty excited for both of them. Yes, he is. Absolutely. Uh, Simon Pegg, who, of course, plays Scotty in the Kelvin Timeline movies, was asked recently about both movies that are being planned and he had good things to say about both of them regarding uh sj clarkson being pegged to direct the fourth movie see what i did there uh he said quote thank you quote fantastic i think it's just great i was really excited when i heard about that news what a great thing for the franchise i think it's about time and i'm excited end quote and uh about the quentin tarantino possibilities to which both you and i have our concerns Peg was a little bit more uh, optimistic about it. He said, quote, I love Quentin's work, and I think he's a great director and a great story writer. So whatever fruit that may bear, I would be interested to take a bite out of it. (laughs) End quote. That's pretty good, too. So two movies. One of the cast members uh, sounds excited about it. As we mentioned last week, none of the cast have yet been signed to the new Star Trek movies that are being discussed. I'm sure they will be. And it sounds like Simon Pegg is on board for both of them if it happens. You know, this is kind of like when people were making a big deal of Tom Brady. Uh, not, you know, we weren't going to know if he was going to play for the Patriots this year because he hadn't signed his contract. I mean, come on. Mm. It's Tom come Brady. On. Uh, come on. Right. It's the cast of Star Trek. They're going to sign on. Um, and uh, I think people are surprised that Simon is is being as positive about the, the Tarantino movie as he can be. What's he going to do? It's not like he's going to go, oh, screw <laughs> that guy. he's 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 an actor um the studio is working with tarantino uh on on some level um is he going to come out and say i think it's a terrible idea no he's not i don't think he's i don't don't think that would be good for the contract negotiations do you (laughs) probably not that's probably a really (laughs) good point um i i too am excited that sj clarkson is is going to direct the fourth movie i'm I can't wait. I want to, I want it to be a huge success as I do all Star Trek movies, but especially this one and uh, Tarantino. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I got to tell you, I, I, if Tarantino is doing a movie, I'm, I, I I don't like the idea. I I don't know if I want to see it. Um, And that's got nothing to do with being anti JJ verse because I'm not, it's got everything to do with finding Quentin, Tarantino, a repulsive and repugnant individual who shouldn't be touching Star Trek. Okay. I'm not going to touch that. Other than that, I have no <laughs> strong feelings on the matter, sir. No, no, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta let your emotions out a little bit. Come on. <laughs> I'm so Vulcan. <laughs> yes, sir.
Dan, before we discuss the classic original series episode, Balance of Terror, we want to take a moment to tell everyone about our friends at Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection. Official indeed. Officially licensed by CBS Studios. You know, Bill, this is the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe, from the original series, like you just mentioned, to the next generation, DS9, Voyager, all the way through the movies, through Star Trek, beyond and beyond. So uh, each model is made of die-cast metal, high-quality ABS materials, and then they're hand-painted with reference to the actual CG models used in production and, where they exist, photos of the original studio models like the original Enterprise and that Romulan warbird from Balance of Terror. You know, speaking of the original Enterprise, um, I am holding in my hands my own Eagle Moss NCC-1701, no bloody A, B, C, or D, um, and not the XL size. We're talking the original one that is part of the official Star Trek Starships collection. And it sits on my desk and has for some time. And I just, I love this ship. I pick it up and look at it. Usually when you and I are podcasting, and it's just so great that we're talking about a TOS episode this week. And Dan, if you could imagine this, Eagle Moss has well over 100 ships in this collection right now. And new designs are being shipped each and every month, which is really what astounds me. Every single one of these ships comes with a great display base, plus an amazing collector's magazine featuring behind-the-scenes info, original design sketches, a breakdown of the in-universe technology that's on board the ship. And, you know, we talk about the ships all the time, and they're great to display, but so are the magazines. I mean, that's how high-quality these collector's mags are, Dan. And last week... We talked about the Enterprise-D from Star Trek The Next Generation and the detail of that model. Next week, we're going to announce the four listeners who won that truly gorgeous model and are going to bring that starship home. But how might others bring the Enterprise-D and the rest of the collection home to their very own? It's very, very easy to do that, Bill. But before I get to that, I, I can just imagine you sitting there while we're podcasting with the Enterprise NCC-1701 in your hand, pretending you're Apollo from Who Mourns for Adonais with the little hand on the Sasha second, you admit it. You do that. Don't you? I'm doing it right now. <laughs> yeah. <that's it. laughs> well, if folks, if you want to pretend you're Apollo from that original series episode, it's very easy to subscribe to the collection and receive your first ship, which will actually be the USS enterprise NCC one seven zero one D. You can get it for only $4 and 95 cents with free shipping. And then after that Eagle Moss will send your ships twice monthly and they'll be delivered directly to your door and believe me that's a lot of ships because as bill mentioned eagle moss already has over 100 in this fleet so far so don't forget as a subscriber you're also entitled to free gifts worth over 90 dollars, and you can cancel your subscription at any time but you won't want to full details can be found at st-starships.com slash trek geeks and for fans who'd like to purchase their favorite ships individually you can certainly do that for just a few dollars more, either online at shop.eaglemoss.com or at your local comic book shop. You know, I was on the Eagle Moss shop just yesterday, and they, they really do have so many great things. But it's really easy to start getting these ships delivered straight to your door. So remember to subscribe. That's st-starships.com slash trekgeeks. And we thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this week's episode of Trek Geeks. Dan, here we are to discuss one of our favorite TOS episodes of all time, Balance of Terror, 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 Terror. 
I felt like Ooh. we. I know. I felt like we needed some echo after having wrapped up the Eddington arc last week. <laughs> this isn't. This isn't the and the children shall lead episode. <laughs> no, that's coming. Oh. That's coming. Oh. Oh, oh, okay. Someday. Oh, I Someday. thought we were talking one of the best episodes. I was confused, but okay. Well, there's there's no, over 700 hours of uh, of television. I mean, we're going to get to it at some point, right? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> this, this was an episode that I know I saw at a very young age, and I'm guessing you probably did too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, at that young age and, and not really knowing Star Trek all that well, it caused a great deal of confusion when um, – the Romulan commander and then Sarek uh, would be seen in a different episode. I'd be like, what? Wait, huh? But uh, yeah, I do remember seeing it. I, I remember uh, really liking the, um, the drama in the episode, even as a young child. Um, this was, this was the, this was one of the best episodes to ever come out of TOS and it holds up so beautifully, even over 50 years later. I agree with that entirely. You know, I have to say that I know for a fact the first episode I saw was the Corbo Might Maneuver. And I know that Balance of Terror was an early episode that I saw, but I want to say it was within the first couple of weeks. So mm -hmm. back in the 70s, and this may be hard for some people to comprehend who didn't necessarily watch Star Trek in syndication in the 70s, but stations could show these episodes in any order they wanted. You know, they didn't Absolutely. put them in broadcast order. They didn't put them, you know, sequentially. You could watch uh, The Man Trap, you know, one night and literally watch Turnabout Intruder the next night. I mean, that's how mm -hmm. stations were. And the station I watched on was uh, WLVI TV 56 out of Boston. And um, they're now a CW station, which is kind of weird. But um, And they were, it was on every weeknight at 6 p.m., so right, just right around, just before the dinner hour. And right. I can remember sitting there riveted by Balance of Terror for a variety of reasons. And mostly because of Kirk, but largely because of Spock. Because even at that young age, I understood that this was a problem for Spock. And mm -hmm. it, it's, I think that this episode is written so well that you can understand that at any age and, and still realize that there's a lot on, on the plate here. There is a lot. The, one of the things that I love most about this is, is this is the first time we see a Romulan. And of course the reaction that styles gives is kind of the reaction that I think we all give when we first see the commander on screen and to see that, that level of, I don't know if hatred is the right word, but as Kirk says, bigotry and, and racism to a point that appears on the bridge with Styles when they see that Romulan for the first time. Even as a young kid, I understood what that meant. And uh, it was played brilliantly, uh, especially in that first scene when Styles is just, you know, under his breath saying, saying things that annoy Kirk to no end. It's pretty cool. You know, I have um, to. Oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna. I was just gonna say there's there's a lot in this episode that is to like that doesn't necessarily tie in specifically with uh, with the, with the whole episode and the, and the battle with the Romulans. The whole um, uh, wedding at the beginning has some interesting points to it. I got. I, let me ask you a question, Bill. I got. I yeah. got to ask this question because I love how they always do it in Star Trek, even from the very first scene in this episode, Balance of Terror, where Kirk gets up to the podium to start the ceremony. He's got that swath of light across his eyes. And it, it, this is a perfect episode to see that. in just about every scene is 
he's in. I think it's brilliant how they did that, but I also think it's quite funny. You know, it's it's really interesting because in season one, they use a lot of that catch light um, as a technique in the in the in the photography. And you're right; in this episode, it works especially well. It's a little distracting in the chapel scene. <laughs> Um, and I don't mean, bit. I don't mean nurse chapel. I mean the chapel on board the <laughs> enterprise that we never see before or since, <laughs> but yep. there are scenes on the bridge where it is particularly, you know, uh, appropriate and effective because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're concentrating on Kirk's reaction and you're concentrating on Kirk, you know, having to be in command and, and use every last bit of his experience as a starship commander to, to, to be victorious for one of a better word. And, you know, there are times where it just, it, it accentuates the drama and the tension both in Kirk and the story, but you're right. It is used a lot in, in, especially in TOS season one, but I think they really pulled out the stops for that on this one. They did. And one of the, one of the best examples of that in an exaggerated sense is when they decide to power down the enterprise and you can see station after station being shut down on the bridge as they do the, the, the horseshoe walk around and then everything goes dark, but boom, giant spotlight right on Kirk. And Spock. <laughs> Very bright. Rest of the place is pitch black, big spotlight on him. I thought that was hilarious. Now I have to say, as I've gotten older, one of my favorite things about this episode is the cinematography and the lighting. You know, because it is it is so contextual. I mean, we think of this as a submarine battle because it's it's essentially patterned after the 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 old film, The Enemy Below, and mm-hmm. it, it really kind of gives it that feel. You get the tension more on the Enterprise, more so than I think you do on the Romulan, you know, uh, ship, because it's it's just lit with all pastels and all those guys are looking in that weird kind of center console that all look like <laughs> Spock's viewer. Um, but i really think that the way this episode is shot even today holds up incredibly well it does and let me i'm going to bring up something funny in regards to 50 years worth of watching this show um i i mentioned it uh to you and and people may hear a little bit about it in the outtake is that i rewatched it last night i didn't need to rewatch it i've seen this so many times but you know what i'm like hey it's a great episode i just want to watch it again so i watch it with my wife she had never seen it before, I found out. She's like, I don't think I've ever seen this episode, which just completely blew me away. But when I started the episode, I went I went through and I, I was on Amazon Prime and I, and I started the episode. On Amazon Prime, the opening scene showed and I'm like, oh, this is the old special effects. Stop. Time out. I didn't want to watch it with the old effects. I wanted to watch it with the new effects. So I stopped it, put it on Netflix and watched it with the new effects. And I got to say, some of the effects, the, the redone ones in this episode are not the best, especially when it shows the Enterprise firing, quote-unquote, phasers, which we'll get into later. Um, but there's one scene of the of the Romulan ship, and it's going slowly across the screen from bottom to top, and there's light reflecting off of the hull, and it's spectacular. You guys got to check that out. It is one of my favorite. You talked about phasers, and I was going to bring that up later, but since you, it's in my mind now, I'm going to talk about it. This is the episode I cite when people <laughs> want to complain about the phasers in the Kelvin timeline or in Star Trek Discovery. Because yep. um, I, I think that uh, whether or not, you know, the, the effects team got it wrong on TOS, the fact is there are pulsy type phasers in this episode. Now, granted, they, they seem more like photon torpedoes, but um, it, it's canon that these are phasers. <laughs> so yeah. this is the first thing I point to. It's like, uh, no. They weren't always beams that shot off for seconds at a time. 
sometimes they were this and and uh, I just I smile every time I see it. I, f- I find it it's a, it's a it's a difficult discussion. It's cannon and their phasers. I understand that. And at the beginning when they fire, it sounds like phasers, but then it sounds just like a photon torpedo being launched and the the view of it reminds you of a photon torpedo. Not going to not going to say that's it's it's wrong. You bring up a very valid point that in the Kelvin timeline and especially in Discovery with uh, with the first two episodes of that series, the phasers have that look to them. Um, but uh, it is kind of ironic whenever this one's on and how the ship always like shudders when they fire these phasers in this episode. I thought that was quite quite funny. But that's an it. We could go on that just topic of the phasers versus photon torpedoes in this episode for probably quite a while. Probably. I love how the lights dim every time <laughs> they fire the phasers in this episode. <laughs> It's like it's like the Energizer bunnies. Like what? What's going? I don't. I don't. Know. Well, it's like they launched a torpedo out of a submarine. Because how many times do you see that in like a World War II sub movie? Mm-hmm. You know. Sure. Um, sure. So at the core of this episode are two very sort of heroic and respectable characters that are going head to head. Because I mean, the Romulan commander, although let's face it, they, they've blown up blown up some Earth outposts. It is not an evil guy. The Romulans are not mm-hmm. doing this because they're evil. They're doing this because they feel threatened. And right. of course, the, there is the, the loss of life on the Starfleet side, but they're not doing this because they're uh, they're terrorists. They're doing this because they feel that they've been encroached upon and, and their way of life is potentially at stake. Think of it. I think of it as this. There's there's nothing wrong with what the Romulan commander is doing. He's doing the exact same thing possibly that the Federation would do uh, in a similar situation, well, maybe a little bit in the Federation has a different viewpoint, but let's say that that on Romulus, they had a show called Star Trek and it was this commander was the captain of the, or the star of the show. And and the Enterprise was coming along and destroying uh, outposts on the Romulan side of the neutral zone. We'd have the same exact same reaction, I think. It's 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 our captain. He's doing what he needs to do to defeat this alien Kirk. And uh, so, so it's it's one of those episodes where even though the commander can be tagged as the bad guy in the episode because he is who they're battling, he really isn't. I agree with you. And you know, he's we learn he's he's a man, you know, or he's he's a person. Mm-hmm. He's obviously not a human, but you know, there are relationships that, that he has, like with the centurion or or with his you know, his family. You know, we we learn that you know he's he's a thoughtful person. We learn that he he's not you know, a mustache twirling villain. And I think that at a young age that taught me a lot about, you know, people who are your adversary to some extent that they're not always bad people. And I think that as a child, that was a wonderful lesson for me to learn in this context. And it's one that I've carried with me ever since the 1970s. It's funny. You brought up the, um, the centurion and, and as I was watching this last night, uh, after, after a couple of scenes with him, I, I, I went over and, I looked at my wife and I said, kind of reminds you of McCoy, doesn't he? He's that older guy who is the right-hand man for the commander, but not in a first officer type. He's the advice giver and he's the close friend and he's older. And I I had that, I had that, that's a McCoy version uh, on the Romulan ship thought in my head and always have. No, that's a really great point. I never thought about it in those terms, but, uh, you're you're correct. I mean, he he fulfills that role for the Romulan commander. I suppose that that every you know person in in that position needs some sort of sounding board. I mean, 
Kirk has it with both Spock and McCoy. Who knows, you know, what the Romulan commander also has as far as relationships on that vessel. But it's like I said, they're, they're people, you know, they're, they're, they're individuals. And just because they're Romulans doesn't mean that, that we should automatically consider them our adversary. And I think that we see that play out in next gen to some degree. Romulans are always around taunting us, but you know, they're, they're people with whom we can talk from time to time and at least rationalize things. Um, right. I think one of the things that I've always loved about this episode as I've gotten older is the fact that Mark Leonard and Bill Shatner really act the hell out of this episode. Um, because this really, I mean, let's face it, this is a two character story. Yes, there are other characters in there. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there, there's B stories, there's the tension with Styles, there's the wedding, there's the relationship with the Centurion, the commander, but this really comes down to the commander versus Kirk. And those two men really sort of have this episode on their backs. And it's every time I rewatch this, I gain a, a brand new respect for what both Leonard and Shatner do. They do fantastic jobs. One of the things I like about what Leonard does here is, and the, and the commander, I should say, not so much Leonard is, is we always think of Kirk as the one who never screws up. And he's the, he's the one that's ready to, to, to go into battle and, and, and win the battle and do a great job. He gets outwitted pretty quickly by the Romulan commander with the comet's tail. Um, and I think that shows the similarities between the two characters and why it's such a perfect story for the two. I, what do you think? Oh, I agree with you. Absolutely. I, um, it, it's, it, there's so much to love about this episode that I, you know, I, I run the risk of gushing like a fanboy to some extent, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's hard not to, because I mean, when you think of the top 10 TOS episodes of all time, this one is on the list, you know, it's, oh, there, absolutely. there's no question about it. I mean, when you sit somebody down to watch Star Trek, the original series or Star Trek in general, this is one of the episodes you're going to show that person because this Corvomite maneuver in a nutshell is, it, it, it is who we are in the future. And it's a great example of what Star Trek is. Um, I, as a kid, I struggled with the concept of the neutral zone because this is one of the things I don't think is explained incredibly well in the episode. I think that it's 40 plus years of fandom that have, you know, taught me to be comfortable with what the neutral zone is and I can explain it. But, you know, if you're a casual fan, I could see where that would be something that could trip somebody up. What do you mean neutral zone? So they can't, they can't go into it. Um, Right. So (laughs) once you get past that and you realize what that zone means and, and what it's designed to prevent, because I think that's more important. It's designed to prevent an all out war. Um, I think that this episode takes on a different tone once you realize what the stakes are of that Romulan ship being in Federation space to begin with. I love the map that they use for the Romulan. <laughs> Me too. Uh, it's just, it's really not, it's really bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, when I was a kid, I'd be like, it's, it's like a river. It looks like a river in the, at least in the map. And I found it interesting um, of course, you know, we don't, I don't want to bash ca- the canon debate because we always seem to do that, but I find it very funny that at least with this episode, as we're establishing Star Trek and so forth, um, the Romulan neutral zone is 
littered with Earth outposts all the way on the Earth outpost, not Federation outposts. I think that's quite funny. Yeah. Um, but outposts all along the neutral zone on these asteroids. There's none that we know of or depicted in the map on the Romulan side. But then Romulus and Remi, which I find funny also, is like right next to the neutral zone. You don't think that that'd be a little more centralized for in Romulan space. And I just, I've always found that quite hilarious. Well, and uh, Romulus and Romai, not even Remi. Romai. Sorry, Romai. My apologies. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, the neutral zone. Romai. Remi. Neutral zone on that map looks like somebody took a can of spray paint and just went <laughs> right down the center because it's not, it's not a pretty looking thing. I mean, they cleaned it up a little bit for, um, the 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 enhanced uh, the remastered edition that's the word I'm looking for, mm-hmm. but you're right it's right. it's it's kind of a weird map and th- there's seven of those outposts and right right there Romulus and Romai um, right next to each other I'm glad that you know when they wrote or they created the Romulans that they had the presence of mind to create two worlds there at the base of the Romulan Star Empire because it mm-hmm. it makes sense and. It, it's something I wish they would have explored a little bit more in Nemesis instead of creating the Remans. Um, maybe this right. other world isn't just a moon. Maybe it's just a, maybe it is a partner world and, and they expand on that lore, but I'm getting a little, a uh, little ahead of myself here. <laughs> I, I, I gotta wonder, let me ask you this. Let me, let me jump in and ask you this. Do you think that that was an editing error on the map part? for the title of the, the name of the second planet, because they talk about Romulus and Remus. They actually say Remus, or is it actually just a phonetic thing or Remus and that word in a different language or the same thing? I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I'm going to go with graphical error possibly because we see that plenty in, in Star Trek, even today, you know, in, in discovery, mm-hmm. Paul Stamets in one of the graphic shots is listed as chief, listed as chief engineer and he's not the engineer. He's a science officer. Right. So, you know, it's, uh, there's always going to be stuff like that in, in track where graphics department probably doesn't get the same memo. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I want to focus a little bit on styles because he's a character in this episode that, that kind of fascinates me. And in a way I'm kind of surprised that this character makes it into the script and on the bridge of the enterprise, given what Gene thought humanity would have evolved to by this point. Does that make sense? It does. Um, you also got to wonder how someone who has that mindset would be uh, the navigator on the flagship of the Federation, uh, because I'm sure that there are a whole bunch of psychological exams and all kinds of training and, and exercises where they would weed out the people that have this type of mindset. So he actually did a really good job of hiding it or I don't even know what the next thing would be after or uh, because it's it's not what you would expect in a Starfleet officer. And to your point, what Gene's vision was like, as we always say, quote, Gene's vision. Yeah, trademark Gene's vision. Um, it, it it seems that hating Vulcans is is still kind of OK in the future. I mean, we see it in Star Trek Enterprise, obviously, because it's it's a bit of retcon. But right. in this episode is, you know, <laughs> Styles even refers to Spock as Vulcan. Like, like it's a bad thing. I'm like, whoa, seriously, dude. Um, yeah. but, but styles is a character that troubles me to some extent. Um, yeah, there's an un, well, a, a part of this episode that was changed. Um, and apparently, um, according to memory alpha, cause I, I always look this stuff up as to, to what, 
what we may not have known about the episode, but I'll read this directly from Memory Alpha. In the James Blish adaptation of this story, presumably based on an earlier draft of the script, Styles dies. In addition, Robert Tomlinson and Angela Martine actually marry in a second ceremony late in the story. When the Enterprise fires on the Romulan ship for the final time, the latter explodes immediately with the conversation between Kirk and the Romulan commander being omitted, which I find fascinating. Um, wow. Yeah, right? Um, yeah. The other thing that surprises me is that uh, there was a version of this script where um, Styles was, or somebody was going to mention that the Romulans had stolen ship designs from the Federation, and that's why the ships looked similar. It wasn't necessarily the bird of prey, which makes Styles' line about there possibly being spies on board make sense because I don't, without that context, you wonder why the hell would he say that? Does he hate Vulcan so much that, that, that yeah. that's what's going on. So in hindsight, in hindsight, I wish I'd had that context before because other than that, he just seems like a screaming racist. Well, and it's interesting that you say they could have Romulan spies aboard the ship, but you mentioned just a moment ago that he has that hatred of Vulcans. Nobody knows what Romulans look like until this episode. So why does he even have that thought in his head? Right. Um, well, I take, I take it back. He may not be thinking that at Spock, but it's it certainly, I'm sure he's positively thinking that after we see the Romulan commander on screen for the first time. But, um, before that, uh, that's very interesting that, that this stuff was, was possible, um, uh, was going to be in the episode that would have made a lot more sense if they had kept something like that in, but omitting that, that discussion between the commander and Kirk. Oh, that would have killed this episode. I think. Well, and, and I agree with you. Uh, and apparently that, uh, that detail was supposed to be in the conversation with commander Hanson on outpost four, uh, before he dies. Um, you know, when they ask, you know, what did the ships look like? And he was going to say, it looks remarkably similar to ours of starship design, quote unquote. Um, and that would have been the basis for styles line. So that actually, uh, was cut from the final episode, which I find interesting. Um, that is very interesting. And apparently another shot filmed, but cut from the finished episode shows Kirk saluting the Romulan commander before he destroyed his ship, which I find uh, a good edit to have removed from the episode. Cause I think that that, uh, that would have made it seem really tacky. That would have been unkirk like, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of Kirk, one of the things that I really like about this episode is something that is really sad when it comes to the character of Kirk. And that's when he's in his quarters and, and Rand comes in and asks if he can get anything for him and he's going to be heading up to the bridge and McCoy comes in. And one of the lines that Kirk says, is he's talking about what's going on and, and you just hear him say, why me? I, I, this is the perfect example. This scene of what a starship captain's burdens are and how it weighs on their shoulders all the time. They can never show it when they're on the bridge or when they're around any of the crew, but when it's just the two of them, you can see that weight on his shoulder. Shatner did a great job of, of, of really, showing stress in this episode in a way that works. Um, when he, when he says to uh, Spock to shut down the ship systems and play dead, and he just kind of rubs his hand over his face and you can see that he's exhausted is another example. But this why me line has always stood out to me as one of the best in the episode. Well, and I coupled that with the, what if I'm wrong, right? From the same yeah. scene. Same speed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, yep. and, 
I don't think that he expects McCoy to give him an answer. And the answer that McCoy gives him is, is one that, you know, going back to that six or seven year old me, that this was my favorite scene from the episode back then, because wow. McCoy lays it out pretty plain. You know, uh, I love the line to, to this day. It's like, you know, it ends with don't destroy the one named Kirk. And that's pretty heavy, you know, but yeah. McCoy nails it right on the, on the uh, square on the head. I um yeah. going back to styles for a second. I, I want to pick up this thought before sure. I lose it. Um, in my yeah. own head, and I don't know if this is what they intended at all, but the Styles character at the navigation console in this episode is the same Styles that is the captain of the Excelsior in Star Trek Three. What say you? Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Oh, that's a wow. And and that's not anything that's anywhere written. That's just your own personal opinion. I don't know if it's written anywhere or not. I love that. I love that idea. It's a little scary that someone who thought the way he did um, became captain. But then again, Spock saved him at the end of the episode. And you can tell in sickbay that he was very thankful and maybe he had a change of heart. So it's possible. That's a great, that would be a great continuity thing, man. Well done. You get a gold star. Thank you. Thank you. Although I think that (laughs) their names may have been spelled differently. Um, but in my mind, I, I, I think there's, I think it's very possible. They could very well be the same character. And there's a lot of room in that mind for you to think of things like that. So we move on. Wow. Ouch. I'm not sure, but I think Sorry. you just called me dumb. <laughs> you know, it's not dumb. You know, you know what else is dumb? Let's talk about dumb for a second. Yeah. Is there a real word for whatever 3 million million is? Because that kind of sounds kind of silly. <laughs> yeah, it's three million. <laughs> Actually, no, it's not. But it's three million millions. So um, it's probably three million. million. Three billion. I, I'm not good with math. Don't. <laughs> math is hard. Yeah. 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 Um, I suppose so- if he had a calculator on board, of course, there's, we don't have those in the future. No, no, not at all. I mean, you could just say computer. What's three million million? And, you know. Major would answer, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> you have issues. So I do. And I, and speaking of issues, I wanted to bring up a couple of things that I found as issues in this episode. Now, don't get me wrong. One of the best episodes ever. But in every episode, there are things that you can pick apart and make fun of, which is what we're doing right now, which probably shows how much we love the episode because we are joking about things like this. Um, a phaser room? Is this the only time in Star Trek history that there's ever been a um, communication line, like in a real submarine, in order to fire something? Because after this, everything's always fired from the main console on the bridge, and this cost this, this could have killed this could have killed everybody the way that they did this. Um, this happens in one other episode, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm trying to look it up now, um, where they sort of relay that phaser order. Um, I know that in Corbomite Maneuver, they talk about running phaser drills, and you got to wonder if that has anything to do with it, but I don't recall it ever being like this, where the captain says fire, and then they have to go to the phaser room, where he says fire to somebody else, and the other guy says fire, and then they fire. That's like five seconds before they fire. They could be dead. <laughs> dead. <laughs> like five seconds. Um, <laughs> phaser one, fire. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. Um, and I love that the phasers can be set for proximity blast in this episode. Um, <laughs> or I'm sorry, I guess that's... Uh, yeah, I think it is in this episode because it acts like a kind of it like is. a depth charge. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it, Hence, 
in photon torpedo. In reading Memory Alpha, they don't come up the phrase photon torpedo until uh, Arena. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So huh. let's talk about the the thing that kind of smacks you in the face in this episode right at the beginning, and that's the wedding. <laughs> um, now I'm not an expert. I don't know these things, but I know that it's just yes. lore that ship captains can marry people. Um, but I think the thing that astounded me the most is that, you know, going back to the whole Gene's vision thing, that the Enterprise has a chapel. Uh, am, but this one does. That's what I mean. Uh, am, am I am I wrong to be surprised by that? Uh, no, but yeah, no, I don't know. We never see it again. Well, yeah, we do. In Tholian Web, it's like the conference room where they're talking about Captain Kirk being dead, and then somebody goes insane and starts, you know, flailing his arms around. But yeah, we never see a chapel again, ever, ever, ever. Like ever? Never. Ever. You're a super fan one seven zero one. I would look it's, to you for that answer. I'm telling you right now, never, never see a chapel on the Enterprise again. <laughs> and by the way, uh, three million million is three trillion. By the way, million. As a matter of fact, Bill, I may also point out that in the episode that Picard does a wedding, it's not in a chapel. So there's no chapel on the Enterprise D unless the religion that the people getting married doesn't involve a chapel. Yeah, I think it's a it's probably part of the era in which the original series was filmed in so that it seemed approachable right. to audiences if there were real world real world explanation. I think that it's probably the same reason why there's a Christmas party mentioned in Dagger of the Mind. And uh, Thanksgiving gets mentioned at some point, too. Thanksgiving and Charlie X. That's right. Charlie X. And it's very early on, all these these references before they sort of get rid of those references at all. So Um, it's funny because in one scene, Kirk, uh, in the the wedding scene, he talks about, um, you know, we gather with all of our different beliefs. And when Martine gets to the uh, ceremony, she kneels down to say a prayer. And you can see Kirk kind of just kind of like pause and smirk a little bit. And then she stands up and they get started and he's, he's just the look on his face. I always, I always found quite funny. You had some, uh, some other issues uh, with this episode, uh, again, really minor things in, in the course of, uh, of they uh, heralded an iconic episode of the, of the original right. series, but just some other things that just, you sort of scratch your head out, I think. Yeah. Um, they were going to get married that morning and uh, they went into battle and Tomlinson and Martine and, Tomlinson, unfortunately, is the only person who dies uh, in the episode. And I find it ironic that McCoy says only one person died. Well, a person died, but only one person. So I guess the needs of the many do outweigh the needs of the few of the one. But um, so he dies. And so they go to the chapel and and Martine's in the chapel and looks at Kirk and then runs up to Kirk and hugs him. And you would expect Kirk to be like, hey, but because it's Kirk, but he doesn't do that. But then. She just she just lost her fiance and she looks up and goes, I'm all right. It's like, really? I, really? <laughs> I, just, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, how much of that could be shock, right? Um, yeah, they just come out of a, a tenuous battle. Um, you know, maybe she's maybe it hasn't really sunk in yet, you know, but yeah, that reaction is a little weird. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. And and Kirk doesn't hug her back, but he kind of has that Kirk look in his eyes like, well, Hey, I'll take you out for a drink later if you want type <laughs> type thing. It, I just, I just find that scene very uncomfortable. Um, 
I don't know if you've ever seen Roadhouse, but in Roadhouse, the 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 female uh, uh, the girl who plays Patrick Swayze's love interest in one scene when they're leaving, she goes bye, and I just think of that now whenever I see the scene with Martine, the way she goes. I'm all right. I just think it's hilarious. And I, I don't know why, but I don't know. She just lost her fiance, but I laugh. I, I hate Roadhouse with a passion. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm dumber for it having appeared on the Trek Geeks podcast. Um, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. If that's possible. Well, I can move along. If that's possible, because I'm, I'm pretty dumb <laughs> yeah, to start ex- with. Exactly. And then uh, that's, you can say that. And then what about that debris on the Romulan bridge? Oh, the, all the dirt and stuff that falls from the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, where's all that dirt coming from? That's a lot of. That's a lot of dirt. It's like they got a playground for the Romulan kids up above the bridge, and sand just comes down through the vents or something. I, just, I think that's quite funny. We never see debris like that on the Enterprise, right? Uh, we do. Dirt. We do on the Enterprise D. Um, you know, when the bridge <laughs> takes a hit, and you see paper flying everywhere. <laughs> that's true. That's. True. I don't understand. I just. I just thought it was always. It's it's a funny way to show battle damage, I suppose. Uh, let's throw some dirt in there. Throw up some dirt on it. He'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I um I don't I don't have very many problems with this episode. Um, you know, th- there are some things that I've just grown to accept over the years. Um, you know, I Styles racism, the chapel, those kinds of things. Because other than that, I I just I I'm transfixed by Shatner and by Mark Leonard every time I watch this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I, I, I'm talking about all these issues tongue in cheek because it's really nothing to complain about. Um, although I do have one more. Bill. Oh, OK. I do have to say one more thing. Yeah. <laughs> when the phasers go out and Spock pulls that little grate down and there's little circuits with fire and, and everything and he's patting them down and it's smoky. I think that's quite funny that the smoke is coming from above where the fire is. But that's not what I wanted to, to make fun of is the fact that he's working on fixing this frantically. And Kirk at one point asked for a status and Spock goes, impossible, Captain. And then like not even a minute later when the battle ends, they're fixed. <laughs> so Spock, who's a Vulcan, a Vulcan says impossible, which a Vulcan probably should never say because supposedly nothing is impossible. And then 35 seconds, 45 seconds later, it's all fixed. You know, we haven't given Leonard Nimoy his due for this episode, but he he has some great reactions in this, especially when we realize that the Romulans look like Vulcans. And it, he plays those uncomfortable moments with styles exceptionally well. Well, partly because he's Leonard Nimoy. Um, but yes, it, the material is so great that he just he propels it over the top. It's just it's so wonderful. You know, we, we take for granted Leonard as Spock, and this just really is some moments where Leonard gets a chance to shine with some some scenes that are pretty heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's Leonard freaking Nimoy, man, right? I mean, that's all you got to say. He's he's phenomenal in this one. This 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 builds a lot of Spock's character and character uh, in the series in this one episode. So, yeah, it's 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 done amazingly well. This is it. Like I said a minute ago, this this things that I'd like to tease about in this episode, but it really is one of the best. You could sit and watch this one whenever it's on. It's one of those episodes that you'll stop flipping through the channels and you'll watch it until it ends. It's just it's just amazing. Absolutely. I um we'll get to where this episode kind of sits in the pantheon for both of us in a second, but um there there are a couple of interesting trivia bits that that people may not necessarily realize about this. And and I'll give you one and then you can give me one because uh, there's, that was one that I didn't know. So 
Um, for those who have seen Star Trek Beyond, there's a scene. Uh-huh. There's a scene where two Enterprise crew members are have been suspended, you know, in the air by Crawl, and he sort of sucks out their life energy. It's a it's a man and a woman, and those two mm-hmm. characters, Dan, are supposed to be Tomlinson and Martine, and uh, I think that's really kind of fascinating. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. No, really, get out. Oh, okay. No, yeah. see you later. <laughs> that's that's awesome. See, that's what I love about the writing with, with stuff like this is they bring those little tidbits and throw them in there. Probably never heard their names in the movie itself, but that's that's fantastic. I love that. I got one for you, though. Okay. <laughs> Did you know that the commander has a name? No. Yeah. What? It may really? not be. Uh, really? It may not be official canon, but. I was playing one of my favorite portable games the other day, Star Trek Timelines, which is fantastic. And I got the Romulan commander as a character now, which I'm so excited about. And in Timelines, his name is Commander Karras. So I did a little digging and there is a non-canon reference to him where he is named as such. So I think that's fantastic. He's unnamed throughout the Star Trek universe, but he really does have a name. I had no idea. Wow. Mm-hmm. I didn't either. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, yep. I, I'm stunned. I, I feel like I should have known that. I, I, I'd like that he has a name finally, because calling him the Romulan commander or, um, or the Romulan commander from the enterprise incident, because you have to you know delineate which one you're talking right. about. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I wish that was depth. They gave the character when the episode was filmed. That's, that's fantastic. I find it interesting that they never named the Romulan commanders yeah, plural I agree. in these episodes. It's kind of like, did they do that on purpose? But I think in the book, she has a name also. But uh, yeah, Commander Karras, Mark Leonard, Commander Karras, well, Sarah, same thing, same guy. Well, we know that they, they pull that name from the books to use in the Star Trek Continues finale as well for yes, for the uh, Romulan true. commander from the Enterprise incident. So, um, Very good point. So, Dan, let's talk about where this episode sits in our fandom as far as the pantheon of of TOS episodes. And we mentioned it would be top 10 earlier. Um, Do you know whereabouts it would rank in the top 10 for you? Have you thought about that? I haven't given it a lot of thought, but with with any great Star Trek episodes, when you're talking, when you start talking about your top 10 or top five they're so good that they could fluctuate between spots on any given day, depending on what mood I'm in or depending on uh, any number of, of different reasons. But I think with 700 hours of Star Trek television for this to be in the top 10 or top five, I don't think it really needs to be um, microscopic any further than that, because it's just, it is one of the best. There are certain episodes that you will, like I said a moment ago, you will always watch when, when you're flipping through the channels and they're on, this is one of them. Corbin might maneuver is another one for me. Um, It just has a, it has a lot of, of meaning for me in terms of growing up and starting to like Star Trek. Plus on top of the fact that it's an amazing story. Plus you've got a great character with Mark Leonard's um, Romulan commander. There's just so many things to love about this episode, but uh, an exact one, I can't give you an exact number, but it's one of the best. I'm going to go on a limb and say it's my number three for TOS. And that okay. for me, that puts Corbomite maneuver at number one and devil in the dark at number two which I think are solid, solid picks. 
I'm going to have to go back because I believe we did a top 10 TOS episode uh, back in the day during our first 100,000 downloads. And uh, <laughs> I'll have to double check to see what I what I chose. But I know it's right up there. It's, I'm pretty sure it's in the top five I, if I had to give a number. So I'd have to go back and look. Well, you know, I look at those sort of top 10 rankings as fluid uh, to some extent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in rewatching it, because I, I wasn't going to rewatch it before we recorded because I can talk about this episode without doing it. But I watched it because. I mean, right. it's Star Trek and it's Saturday morning and coffee and, you know, what are you going to do? And I'm like, this episode is <laughs> so good. And if I if I had to rank it yep. today, I'm going to say number three. Number three. So there you have it. Um, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll approve. Oh, well, excellent. So any parting thoughts on Balance of Terror, Dan? That would, I'm not like not with anything we haven't already discussed. It's just it's just so great. Like I said, um, I'm. I'm more inclined to watch the redone master remastered version because the Romulan ship in the remastered version just looks beautiful. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a classic. It's, it's, you know, we talk about episodes that, that you would introduce Star Trek to people. And this is one of them. This is, you know, it's, it's, it's not the, definition of what many people believe star trek to be but if you're picking episodes that you want people to come engrossed with the show this is definitely one that you got to put in there because the acting is so solid and the story is so solid and and yeah uh, i don't know i'm rambling but that's because it's just so good that's the one thing i'm going to say is if you're going to watch this episode watch it because mark leonard and bill shatner are so amazing and if you haven't really paid attention to how great mark leonard is in this episode then it is worth the rewatch alone because he uh, you see why they brought him back as Sarek. You know, you see why he he returns to Star Trek in in you know as as the Klingon captain and then again as Sarek in the films. Because he is just such a wonderful actor. And you may not get that sense from Journey to Babel, but man, he just totally owns it in Balance of Terror as Karis. And I just this is an episode that uh, that I could watch endlessly and never get tired of. This might be Star Trek blasphemy, but I I would go out on a limb and say his performance in this episode is better than any of his Sarek performances. I don't think that's blasphemy at all. I think that that's accurate because I think that he gets more to do in this role. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Good. You I'm know. glad we agree. Excellent. Well, Dan... Um, one thing we both agree on is how awesome Five Year Mission is. They who mm. just released their brand new album year four and is available now from fiveyearmission.net. Go on out to their website. Seriously, download year four. Get that thing in your ears because you're going to be singing it all the time as Dan and I have been for days. And that is not an exaggeration. Um, the ultimate computer. The, oh, the ultimate computer. Ah, oh, Day of the Dove. I love Day of the Dove. Um, but seriously, we thank them so much for, you know, for them allowing us to use their music in each and every episode of Trek geeks. You know, it's been downloaded as part of this podcast now over 200,000 times. And we're just, uh, excited to call them our friends and, and so thankful for everything they do for us. Go get your four. You're not going to be disappointed. That's five year mission.net. Yes, uh, it's. <laughs> I got it on my iPad. I, iPad? No, I got it on my iPhone because I don't listen to my iPad in my car. But uh, it's on my iPhone. I love it. Year four is great. Like Bill said, go check it out. But you also got to check out these episodes that I've been finding, Bill, because I found another one and it's one of my favorites. Um, you know, you're going to recognize it right away, I think, and you're going to probably sigh because that's what you do when you realize what's going on. But uh, the crew's transported to the strange planet where they have to fight for their lives 
all for the enjoyment of some disembodied brains placing bets with something called Quatloos. Bill, do you think perhaps that those brains are those of our favorite Star Trek band? Yes, no, perhaps not. There's Galt, there's Shauna, Klug, Patrick, so many great thralls who all bear the mark of a fine herd. And of course, I am talking about the gamesters of Farkskellion. Check it out. Wear the collar. Be a thrall. Bill, be a thrall. I'll tell you, I'm not enthralled. That's for damn sure. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, every time I think that you can't take these to a new level, um, you do. You yeah, really bottom do. falls right out, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, totally. That's like uh, you know, in um, <laughs> in what are little girls made of? How the the security guys go over the edge of that cliff? That's just what it's like. <laughs> Thank you. I am here to help. Are you? Wow, great. <laughs> so yeah, it's fiveyearmission.net. Go get year four, people. Seriously. Next week, Dan, we're going to do something a little new. Uh, we discussed it. And we think it's a fantastic idea, and we're excited for a new chapter in Trek Geeks. We are very excited, Bill. And you know, it, it's, it's something I might not be able to do when it comes to talking about you, but uh, it certainly is something that I can do in talking about Star Trek. So what we're going to do is we're bringing in a new chapter called say something nice. And basically what we're going to do is we're going to pick five episodes that we may not like all that much. And, and well, we're, we're going to say something nice about each one. Happiness, you know, Uh, after all, as the champion rule does say, someone's least favorite episode is someone's favorite episode. So we're going to do that. And who better to join us in this discussion than the person who can find a silver lining in every Star Trek cloud, the Trek master, the Trek ranks master, the Vulcan master, Mr. Enterprise Extra himself, Jim Morehouse, is going to join us for this discussion. Lots will be going on next week on Trek Geeks, your independent Star Trek podcast. Bill? <laughs> Can I say that I love in the doc it says Trek Greeks? <laughs> <laughs> Spell, I don't, spelling and math, yeah. It's, no, not, it's not spelled wrong. And wouldn't that be the greatest... <laughs> For April Fool's, some year we're gonna have to turn this episode, this podcast, into Trek Greeks and and talk nothing about the, but uh, you know the Greek islands, like a like okay. a travel log. I think that would be fantastic. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it just made me laugh more than it should have. Uh, Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, we want everyone to check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at the tricordertransmissions.com. Um, you and uh, I have recently been a guest on Trek Profiles, which is premiering very soon. And you're going to be an upcoming guest on Trek Profiles. Um, there's there's Politrex, there's Shore Leave, which, you know, Shore Leave is so essential to my fandom now, especially between STLVs, that I feel like I'm still mm. plugged into everything that's going on on the convention circuit. So kudos to Jeff and Heather. We love them so much, and we love Shore Leave. And we love every show over at the Tricorder Transmissions. So please check them out. And, of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, yo, please visit our great friends at Trek News. For now, this has been episode 138 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Take heart, Commander. He has friends. And friends of his kind mean power. And power is coconut. Coconut and I are old companions. Okay. Okay.
Bing bong. <laughs> Bing bong. <laughs> you sound like you're crying. <laughs> or you sound like Michael Jackson. I'm not sure which. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, hi. Hi. You should create a ringtone of yourself just doing <laughs> Michael Jackson noises. <laughs> and and I bet that people would actually download that. Channel champion? Excuse me? Channel champion? No, I know. Why why did you think of him first? I'm concerned I know, because, now. I don't know because of his the the we're from Starfleet, we don't lie thing made me think of a ringtone for some reason. I don't know. No, I think that people would want to download your voice just so that it sounded like Michael Jackson whenever their <laughs> phone rang. <laughs> I'll see what I can do about that. I, I mean, see. how I would do that. Well, you worship me, so. Um, no. <laughs> no. How's your, how's your morning? I have coffee. Uh, so do I. Yeah, what are you drinking? What flavor you got? Uh, I I've uh, got the cinnamon sugar cookie in the uh, hot fashion this morning. <laughs> you sounded like my old man when you did that. <laughs> so let me paint a picture for you. I can remember being a teenager and on a Sunday morning being in bed, probably about eight o'clock in the morning. And my father would go out every Sunday and he would pick up the New Hampshire Sunday news. You had to get the Sunday paper. Uh-huh. And he would usually get like some donuts or something or some muffins and he would come back. He'd be the only one up and he'd have himself a cup of coffee and a bagel or a donut and read the paper at the, the dining room table. And I would hear this every single time. And this, I, I swear to you, this is not an exaggeration because my bedroom was across the house. Ready? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> every. Okay. Sunday, and of course, multiple times because he took every sip of coffee that way. I think older dads just like to make noise. My dad's the same way. Really? Getting out of the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, I do that now. (laughs) I was going to say it. I do it too. And everybody says I'm just like my father, and it's a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, but we're not that old. Wait, yes, we are. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. So. You've got a good flavor coffee, I gotta admit. Yeah. So I'm 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 drinking you ready? You're ready. Banana cream. I posted it on Camp Kittimer the other day. Yeah, so my wife was wondering how that was actually. Well, the the ultimate decision comes down to whether my wife likes it. And this morning when we were when I was getting ready to come down here, she had her coffee and I said, Hey, what do you got? And she goes, I'm trying your banana cream. And I said, Really? What's the verdict? She said, It's pretty good. I was like, thumbs up, it's a winner. Chicken dinner. Here's here's the thing I find is that Mm. most flavored K cups taste better iced than they ever do hot. Okay. So I'm curious now as to how the banana cream tastes iced. I'll let you know. Maybe. All right. Maybe I'll brew some tonight and I'll have a cup ready for you for the commute tomorrow. How do you like that? Oh, what a guy. (laughs) Whoa. And now I'm podcasting with Pee Wee Herman. I never watched one second of Pee Wee Herman growing up. Me, me either. Although I have seen Pee Wee's play, uh, not Pee Wee's playoffs, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Okay. The only Pee Wee Herman I've ever seen is when he played um, the father of Penguin in one of the Batman movies. So when he decidedly was not Pee Wee Herman. Exactly. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> he was just guy from a movie theater. Not right. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so. So you, I am. I just got this. I am not not mere moments ago, and you, I am to me last night that you had just watched 
Balance of Terror and your bride had never seen it. I was shocked. We're sitting there watching it. And I'm like, what do you think? What do you think? Who does that guy remind? Does that guy look familiar on the screen? The, the Romulan commander? She goes, yeah. She goes, I don't think I've ever seen this. I'm like, oh, my God. Are, are you serious? She enjoyed it. And I told her all about how he played Spock's father and how in one of the books, Spock tells Sarek, you know, you you bear a striking resemblance to the Romulan commander that we <clears throat> battled years ago or something like that. It's just it's just awesome. It's just a great episode. And she really liked it. So another thumbs up from the wife. That's two today. So let me see if I understand this. Mm. You, who is mm. super fan 1701, mm -hmm. had never watched balance of terror with your wife how how did how did how does this happen that has nothing to do with me being super fan 1701 oh it's got that everything to do with everything it. i thought that you would have no. I, I thought that in in your tutelage in your star no. trek expertise you would have said honey this is one of the finest star trek episodes ever i don't um, have no. you really should watch this I don't have to tutor, tutelage her, tutor her on anything <laughs> Star Trek related, except maybe she has to tutor me on the English language. But uh, no, you know, she, you know, she watches when she wants, and and you know, she 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 got through Mary, you know, and that was an assignment. But I don't give her Star Trek assignments or tell her that she needs to watch anyone, anyone or any particular episode or series. And it just so happens that she said, "I don't think I've ever seen this one." Now she may have and just have forgotten it, but that has nothing to do with my being a fan. I'm not going to push my fandom on someone else. That's not Star Trek. That's not IDIC, Mister. That's not right. And I I am very upset that you would think it is. Why not? You push it on me all the time. Um, so are you sure that's banana cream coffee in your cup or is it banana liqueur? Because I'm pretty sure you've been drinking. Wow. <laughs> no, it's it's the banana cream something. Yeah, of all the 12 steps, Dan, the first one's the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. Your, face, your face is the hardest. What What does that mean? I don't know, but I liked it. Or it could be like, <laughs> like, like, like Marshand of the Boston Bruins and lick it. Did you see that? I story. Yeah, here's here's how I feel about this. Now, I don't I haven't watched hockey regularly in some time. I just sort of fell out of, you know, favor with it. It's yeah. fine. But um, if he's going to be dumb enough to lick his opponent on the ice in the course of a game, then I say the league should just let this happen because, um, well, it's, well, of course, there are never fights in hockey, right? No, let no, this police never. itself. Yeah. If these guys aren't just going to haul off and cold cock him, then he's going to keep licking people. I know. Well, the NHL did throw down a cease and desist licking statement to him after the game, which I thought was ridiculous. Like, there's not more important things that they should be doing in the ho the hockey offices, the hockey halls, so to speak. I cease thee and I desist thee. Oh, wow. Haven't heard that one in a while. Well, you know, it's a it, it's one of the golden oldies of the Trek Geeks podcast. It is, and I like it, and I appreciate it, and I thank you for it. I th I thank you for being you. Well, thanks, pal. And you know, I wouldn't be me if it wasn't for you. Does that make sense? No, not remotely. Okay. Huh. Okay. Yeah, you'll see. I added a uh, a a next to a new next to last story in news. Unfortunately, I did unfortunately <clears throat> see that. Yes. Right. Yes. All right. You uh, ready to do this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Then um, let's do it. Let's do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. <laughs> 